sitting down here. Uh, we want to say happy birthday to Caleb. Um, but for those of you uh, that are new here, we welcome you. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, for those of you that are back from some time of vacation, we're glad you're here with us. Uh, take time, if you have, uh, to fill, up, fill out a connection card or meet somebody out in the, in the, at the welcome desk. This will help us get to know you and your family. But usually what happens at this point is we shake each other's hands. But I would encourage you, as you shake each other's hands, commit to prayer, commit to memory, things you can pray for. Go to each other, people that you don't normally go to. Shake their hands. So please, say hi to everyone.
All right, guys. Um, can I have all the children come up to me? All right, we're going to be doing our Bible story um, that is in this book called The Biggest Story. You can sit right there, birthday boy, front and center. All right, so this is going, going to be a story from Genesis 18 and 19. All right, so we've been hearing a lot about God's promises Lots of promises. And all of these promises are good. But they aren't always good news. At least not for those who think God's ways are bad. You see, God doesn't just promise blessings for his friends. He also promises blessings. He also promises punishment for his enemies. That's an important part of the story if we want the biggest story to be God's story and not the story we invented for ourselves and just the way we like it. In the time of Abraham, there was a city called Sodom. It was a bad city and bad people who did bad things. They were angry and selfish and nasty and rude. They were, they, and they did things with each other and to each other that God did not want them to do. The sin was so bad in Sodom and in a nearby city called Gomorrah that God wanted to sweep the place clean like you might grab a mop and sweep all the dirty messes from your floor. Abraham didn't want to see Sodom wiped out, so he prayed. Dear God, he said, you won't destroy the whole city if there are still some good people in there, will you? You are the judge of all the earth, and I know that you will do what is right. Which is true. God is a just judge, and he does only what is right. So God said, if there are 50 good people in this city, I won't destroy it. God went so far as to say he'd spare the whole city for the sake of only ten righteous people. But just then, when you thought Sodom and Gomorrah were safe, they kept on sinning big time, all the time. Those pictures. Okay. One day... Two angels came to Sodom and met Lot, Abraham's nephew. Lot welcomed the men into his home and made them a meal. But the people of the city tried to kidnap Lot's guests and treat them very poorly. The angels told Lot and his families to get out of Sodom as soon as possible because a storm was coming. Not a tornado, not a blizzard, not a massive thunderstorm. It was going to rain. Was it going to rain cats and dogs? No. no. It was going to rain sulfur and fire. Sodom was out of chance. Um, stinky stuff. 
that burns you. Sodom was out of chances. So God swept up Sodom and Gomorrah, and he even turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. For looking back when she should have been running away. Even if that sounds mean, it's probably because we don't know how good God's goodness is and how bad our badness can be. The judge of all the earth did what was just, his punishment for Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. Let's pray, okay? Dear God, please show us our sins and lead us to hate our sins. Lord, forgive us of our sins in Christ Jesus. Amen. Go find your family.
first question I have to ask is, can you hear me? Well, there you go. There you go. This is always a joke at the end that Gary didn't turn his mic on. Well, something's happening. Um, I think it's Children's Church. If you have a kid, I think you can, now's the time to, man, am I echoing here? Hello, hello. Turn with me, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be reading verse 23 through 27. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Um... When we were in Ecuador, uh, we would do a three-day VBS, and this was one of my, my lessons I, I spoke through. And we had a, a couple of our volunteers who were actors, and some of them will go unnamed to play specific characters, play Jesus. You'll see a, a couple of pictures next week of them doing that. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. Please stand as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Let me pray for, God's, for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would Bless the preaching of your word. Bless us as we read through it. That you would engage our hearts, Lord, where there is sin. That you would engage our hearts where there needs encouragement. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Every person here has what I call a storm theology. Storm theology is what you believe about God when storms come into your life. When a crisis comes into your life, is God good or is God bad for allowing it to happen? When you pray during a storm, and when I say storm, I don't mean literal storms, but we do pray when storms come in, so let's not get that wrong. You are faced with storms in many different ways in your life. You may be going through them right now. You have, may have gone through that through the year of 2023. But when you pray during a storm, do you see God as caring or uncaring based on how he answers your prayer? It is what you believe about God when things seem to be going horribly wrong. Storms in life have the ability to bring to surface what's really inside. Whether you are a person of faith or a person of fear. Whether you're a person of trust 
full trust in the Lord or doubt? Storms will reveal to you if your faith, if your heart is full of trust or doubt. So the way we react to God during a storm reveals the truth about ourselves, whether we want to or not. And this is what this morning's story is about. We get to see a very real depiction of how the disciples responded in a storm. You, this past week, this past month, this past year, have all faced different matters of storms. It may have been just a day, just maybe an hour of something that came unexpected and how you responded to, the, to that, that was your storm. Today is probably the, the best known story when it comes to storms. I know that there are others. But just through this simple reading, the conclusion, which I prefer to start off with when it comes to this story, is it demonstrates Jesus' authority over the elements of nature and the disciples' weak faith for being afraid. The story comes in a series of reports. As you go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is where you find the this, this is record, but as you're reading through Matthew, you come across a series of reports. Jesus was doing specific things. He had authority over specific things. Sickness, demons, death, sin. He had authority over all of them. And it provides specifically, when you're reading through Matthew, Matthew's trying to portray Jesus as someone specific. Someone that the Jewish people have been waiting for. The great king. The great king, when he speaks, indeed all listen, all obey. And today's story is specifically that. He's not just a king over the people of Israel. Rather, he's the king over all nature as well. So we, we just read through Matthew chapter 8. But when you go to Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8, you kind of see other things and other facets to the story. It's like when somebody else is telling a story and you have two other accounts with it. You get other perspectives. So with Mark... When you go to Mark, you don't have to turn there, Mark chapter 4, he adds some more information. It was in the evening that this took place. Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side. He said, there are, Mark says that there were other boats that went alongside them. Uh, it says Jesus was in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. For those of you that don't know boats very well, like myself, a stern is where? At the back, all right? And that's where Jesus was sleeping. And then it says in Mark, Jesus rebuked the storm. But he uses these specific words, peace, be still. And it says the disciples were terrified. And then they asked the question at verse 41 of Mark chapter 4, who is this? Luke, on the other hand, um, has small variations. Luke says that one day Jesus says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Verse 23, he fell asleep. And when the storm came up, they were in great danger. Um, and when the storm came up, sorry, I already, already said that, but they were in great danger. So there are small variations to this, just to give you a little bit of variation of what the story is about. But to help us better understand this when it comes to reading some of the Gospels and description stories, it is helpful for us to know certain things about where they were, 
They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The sea, or it's better known as a lake, is in the north of the land of Israel. It is the only freshwater lake in the land. And so for those of you who are fishermen and are thinking of a place to earn fish, this is, a one, this is one place that you would go. The fishing villages of Capernaum and Bethsaida, so frequently mentioned in the Gospels, were northwest of, this, uh, of the north shores of the lake. So the lake is about seven miles across. Its deepest point is 160 feet deep, depending on the fluctuation of the years. And the surface of the lake is about 600 feet below sea level. So in our story, Jesus must have gotten into the boat of the region around Capernaum to the north of the west shore because he got out on the other side, which is Kersey. Why is that important? Because I want you to get in that boat. I want you to feel those fears. These are seasoned fishermen. They know this. Why does it mention sudden storm? Well, the lake, or the Sea of Galilee, is in the famous Rift Valley. It's a natural fault line that runs from this region in the north down the Jordan River Valley to the Dead Sea, and in fact, all the way through Africa. So, to the north of this sea is Mount Hermon. And that's about 9,000 feet high. Now, for those of you who have never been that high up, when we went to Ecuador, we were close to 11,000 feet high. And if you don't think that there's a difference in how you are dealing with, with things, there is a big difference. They told us the one way to deal with altitude sickness is to drink water. <laughs> so we drank a lot. Mount Hermon was 9,000 feet high. The Dead Sea, just a little bit south of that, is about 1250 feet below sea level. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Well, hot air came up this valley quite suddenly, and it would collide with the cooler air of Mount Hermon, and so it would cause sudden storms on the lake. It would just consistently happen. These, believe it or not, these fishermen probably knew something was coming up. What about the boat? Now, during VBX, Ryan had, uh, uh, he shared a lesson and he showed an archaeological find that somebody had found a boat that, that pretty much was the size of this. And these boats would fit about 12 to 13 people. So I want you to understand, they would fit these amount of men in this boat, they would have to get fish in all of this, so it was kind of, kind of crowded. But you could get 12 or so men into that boat fairly easy. But it's easy to see how these men would have been terrified in a storm like this. A little bit more facts. When it comes to reading through the Gospels, what I like to do is contrast. Matthew likes to do that. If you read from Matthew 1 all the way through, there are contrasts you see and see and see again. The story have, have different contrasts to see. The storm is a contrast to what? The miracle of the calming of the storm. The disciples' fear and panic is contrasted with Jesus sleeping on the boat. Jesus' rebuke of his disciples is contrasted with Jesus' rebuke of what? The storm. And if we can go into the next part of Matthew chapter 8, the disciples' question about who is this that is inside this boat is contrasted with the demons. Did they know who he was? Yeah. 
The contrasts in this passage reflect the conflicts in the gospel itself, because Matthew likes to contrast Jesus with the limitations of ordinary people. Jesus was tempted like a man, but he rebuked Satan, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was accused of having a demon in Matthew chapter 12, but he cast out demons. And here in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is tired, he's sleeping, but he has control over nature. So let's go into these few verses. Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 8, verse 23 through 25. This part, we see the disciples ask the Lord to save them in the storm. Here we can simply note that it was Jesus who got into the boat to escape the crowds that, had been, that, that he had been teaching, and the disciples followed him. Now, some of you may skip over this, the disciples followed him, but I don't want to skip over this. As a follower of Jesus, it is someone who literally follows. So you have these disciples following Jesus. You have somebody that's, that have set their own motivations, their own purposes, of, purposes for life aside to follow after Jesus with all their heart. They had a successful business as fishermen to go out and fish and make a lot of money, but they didn't. They set that aside, all loyalties aside, to follow, to not be fishers of fish, but be fishers of men. So this is what you have who was following Jesus. When the storm came up, Jesus was asleep, but they were in a panic. The other accounts describe their fear more than Matthew. They even say, we're going to drown. Now, I don't know many of you who have been in the ocean and have almost drowned, but drowning is not fun. It isn't. Some of you may even have a fear for the ocean because of a near drowning. These are seasoned fishermen who were afraid of what was about to happen. And they shook Jesus awake. And they said to him, we were going to drown. Seasoned, experienced fishermen who had been in there, and they said that they were going to drown. And I want you to understand, this indicates the severity of the storm. Jesus' sleeping is significant to consider. Here we see Jesus' very humanity at display. He was tired. He was exhausted from his ministry. By God's grace, our pastor is, is in Oklahoma, literally in the middle of nowhere. I tried to speak to him yesterday. I couldn't get hold of him. Um, but people get tired. Um, I'm not saying our pastor's tired beyond comprehension, but he, he gets exhausted. So pray for him. Pray for him that God would use this time away to rest, recuperate, spend time with his family. But Jesus in the boat, he's exhausted from his ministry with the crowds. So in the boat, he was asleep during a storm. I'm not saying I have this gift of Jesus, but during tornadoes and storms out of my household, I'm usually the one asleep. But this is a reminder that Jesus is truly human. But their words in verse 26, I mean, in verse 25 are important. That the disciples say, save us, Lord. We are perishing. In their experience, this was simple. This was very simple. 
very urgent. They didn't want to drown, but as is often in the case of the Gospels, words like this are retained when you come to church in the Christian community. You hear songs, God saves, Lord save, Lord save us. And this is something throughout the ages has been a common theme in Christianity. It is not something once you are saved, you stop saying. I hope it's not for you. Save us, Lord. It is something you should take into consideration. Because it is the basic cry to the Lord for help by a needy people. And even in our situation today, even if you believe in Jesus, it is something you should consider saying daily. No matter what the circumstances you face, whether it is that you're going to go to work for that week, and you're going to commit that week to the Lord, no matter what it is, you're going to say, Lord, help me, deliver me, protect me during this week. Verse 26, Jesus calmed the storm to encourage their faith. Jesus didn't calm the storm before he rebuked the disciples. The first thing that Jesus did in response to their request was to rebuke their weak faith. He said, O you of little faith, why are you afraid? And I've, this week, I've really thought about that question. Why are you afraid? And some of you may be very strong in your faith and haven't really thought about that as much. And you may, for some reason, not be afraid of many things. But this question is very important. Why are you afraid? And they were right to ask Jesus to save them. They were right to ask Jesus to save them, and the request shows that they had faith that he could save them. But it was their fear that betrayed their weakness of their faith. They were in panic when they came to him. They didn't come to him because they were confident in him. He did not rebuke them for waking him for save, uh, in order that he could save them. But he rebuked them because they woke him because they were afraid. They had been with Jesus for over a year. They should have been more confident after hearing his teaching, after seeing his many miracles that he had done. But the circumstances of the storm terrified them, and they thought that they were going to drown. Even though in their presence was who? was Jesus. So then the question, why are you afraid? I believe this to be a rhetorical question. It is not meant to be answered, but it's meant to tell them that since he was there, since Jesus was there, they had nothing to fear. Then after this rebuke, Jesus and then after this, Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves, and they became calm. And here we see the power of his word over nature. Now, some of you, you rush over that and you go, okay, Jesus speaks, the winds calm down. But I want you to imagine in that boat, these experienced fishermen shake Jesus awake, Jesus rebukes them, and then Jesus just speaks to the winds and the waves, and then immediately there's calm. This is a miracle. Jesus demonstrates his power over nature, power over the winds and waves. We don't have that kind of power. There is no one that has that power. The use of the word rebuke is interesting. It is, used, it is usually used against things that ought not to be. 
And Jesus is telling them, there is something going on here that ought not to be. And that is the weak faith of the disciples. So I ask you this, are you like the disciples? Are you one of little faith? Do you struggle with things God asks you to do, things to pursue? This weak faith gives us a clue that the storm, although only a storm, is a symptom of something else. The effect of Jesus' powerful command was to calm the storm on the sea, but it was also to calm their fears. By taking care of the troubling circumstances of life, Jesus was able to take away their fears and do something else. He was able to build up their faith. How do you build up your faith? Do you watch YouTube motivation videos to build up your faith? That master class to make sure you're the best at it? Do you build your faith off of the, the customary shoulder bumping with your fellow colleagues to kind of increase your confidence? as a Christian, or do you build your faith on the Lord Jesus, on his person, on his work? This specific spot is a powerful thrust of the passage to all believers. Asking that question, why are you afraid, you of little faith, is such an important fact that you and we, that I, we need to think about. Even though there are so many things in life that threaten our lives and cause us to fear, the more we know the Lord and his power, the less we will be afraid. Our prayer for deliverance from our troubles will be less and less out of fear and more and more out of confidence. So do you know Jesus? And the unbelievable will say, no, I don't know Jesus. And I tell you, believe in him. Trust in him. Know that he loves you. He died for you. But to the Christian, I say, do you believe in Jesus? Are you afraid? And I don't know every situation here. I know some of your situations. I know what some of you are going through right now. And by God's grace, we're praying that God sustains you and helps you. But are you afraid? Verse 27, the disciples were amazed at his power. Their response is amazement. They hadn't seen anything like this. What kind of man is this? And again, another one of those questions you don't really need to answer. What other person can speak and have the winds and waves obey his voice? What kind of person is like that? Is there a person like that? No. So Matthew uses their words to drive home this point that Jesus is unique. He is the king of kings. The one who speaks and not just people obey, nature obeys. Everything falls in sub into submission before King Jesus. So this morning, have you fallen into submission at the name of King Jesus? Because the day will come where he will judge the living and the dead. Have you submitted to him? But let me go to a couple of Old Testament passages because there aren't any connections to the Old Testament here. 
but there are. We are left to make connections to themes. In Genesis 1, the Lord brought everything into existence, including controlling the seas. You want to know why the ocean stops where it does? Because of God. Job 38, the theme of controlling the seas was stressed there. The idea was important in the Bible for the seas were always a symbol of chaos. To control them was to show sovereignty over the chaos. In fact, in the near ancient east, the sea was the symbol of the evil enemy. When we read in the Psalms, specifically Psalm 93 verse 4, God is portrayed as mightier than the raging seas. In Psalm 29, it reflects Genesis 6 through 8. The psalm closes by reminding the reader that God sat sovereignly at the great flood. When all of that was happening, God sovereignly sat there while all of that happened. When Jesus calmed the storm, he was demonstrating that he was that great king. The disciples wondered at what kind of man this was could ultimately be answered only by the fact that he was standing there, the incarnated God, Jesus. But then we go to New Testament, Hebrews. Hebrews quotes this, the psalm, and it says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Jesus is this second Adam, as the Bible expresses, beginning another race. Through Jesus you have the righteous seed. And in these miracles, these nature miracles, Jesus was demonstrating what God had intended, what God had intended. This is one reason why he chose to designate himself the Son of Man. He was described as the authentic man, invested with power, humility, obedient, and finally exalted. Jesus' power over all nature is referred to at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, for it begins by reminding us that Jesus, in verses, chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus sustaining all things by his powerful word. And sometimes the powerful word of the Lord is described in vivid pictures. So we go to Revelation, chapter 19. Revelation describes the word as the sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth and will strike nations. And so this message is that Jesus has authority over nature. Matthew, all the way through chapter 1, through chapter 7, tells you Jesus has authority over sin, sickness, death. Friend, he has authority. So where do you stand in the scheme of things with Jesus? This is a portrayal, a presentation of Matthew, of the King of Kings. As the one who has authority to do all things that he said he came to do. The authority that Jesus has is usually demonstrated by his mighty works. The greatest works he came to do, friends, was die on the cross. This is an amazing story, calming of the storm. But this is meant to point us to that great authority where he defeated death for you, for me. 
So three things I want you to leave you with. What does is, what is Jesus calming the storm mean for us? First, it should help us build our faith. Help us build our faith and confidence in Jesus. You do not simply come to church because you follow a, a preacher from Galilee. We do, we do follow Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And knowing that, you need to know that your faith is built on the fact that there is nothing impossible with him. Now, I'm not going to tell you that if I'm in a boat and there's a huge storm, I'm not going to be afraid. I will tell you that I'll be looking at the weather before I get into that boat. But I want you to understand, this comes, a lot of thinking comes into this. How is it that we build our faith? Do we study God's word in depth? Do we come alongside our brothers and sisters, strengthen each other in confidence in what Jesus has done in each other's lives? Has he done things in your life that you haven't shared with anyone yet that could build each other up? Or are you going through something that no one knows about that you're afraid to, to even mention because you just don't know how to deal with it? And God has graced you in this church with people that you could share with that they can build you up in the faith. Second, our faith may be expressed in our prayers to him. This may be something simple, but when the disciples say, save us, Lord, that should be a consistent thing in your prayers. Lord, save me from my sins. If you think that you do not struggle with sins, take an evaluation of your life. What are the things you hold on to too tightly? Or what are the things you hold on to loosely? Save us from any of the dangers, troubles of life that we face. And it's interesting to note that Jesus answered their prayer and calmed the storms, even though even though they had little faith. In fact, them asking the Lord was an act of faith. Any turning to Jesus in prayer is an act of faith. Any point at any moment in your life. You may be going through something heart-wrenching, and you just don't know where to turn. And I want to encourage you, by God's grace, to speak to someone here, speak to me. But I encourage you to pray. We take very lightly the fact that prayer is something that we're not very good at. But I want to encourage you, that saying, Lord, save us, is a simple, simple prayer. God has given us his word to encourage us. We often look at the disciples and we're saying, you know, we could have done better. You know, that Peter, you know, I don't know what was into him, but, you know, he messed up one just one too many times. But friends, don't we see ourselves in Peter? Don't we see ourselves in the disciples? These are men that walked with Jesus, spoke with Jesus, built their faith and confidence in Jesus. Yet that moment came on the sea, and they were afraid. They forgot. Because in the swing of life, oftentimes what happens is we forget who we serve. Third, the more we see the power of the Lord, both in the scriptures as we read, and in the experiences of believers around us, and in our own lives, the more our confidence in Christ will grow. 
we will always struggle. We will always, always struggle with fears in our lives. Uh, when, I met, when I met Ruth, uh, we, were, we were on the coast of Cape Town, South Africa, and um, it, is, it is a renowned site because it's, it's basically the spot where Natural Geographic or Shark Week is filmed. And for that purpose, my wife would not get into that ocean. But for different reasons, there was other reasons why I was very skeptical to get into the ocean because as a, uh, I wouldn't call myself, but I was a college kid, uh, I decided to go to this one notorious beach that was known for being very treacherous. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. So I went out and it was known for its riptides. If you've ever been in an, in an ocean or a beach that had riptides, you don't necessarily want to go in. Um, but the young buck that I was, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try. And that first time I tried, I got out, and I was like, yeah, I got this. And I went back, had a shower. Next day, I decided, you know, I'm going to do this again. And I almost drowned. If it weren't for this very graceful surfer <laughs> that came out of nowhere. And I asked myself that day, and it's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm, I'm at this stage in, in, in the sermon. Why was I afraid? And I asked myself, why was I afraid? It's because I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't ready yet to die. Uh, at that stage, I hadn't met Ruth but I do know that the Lord, by his grace, had that surfer right there. I didn't go back, by the way. And if you want to know what the name of the beach is called, it's called Dangerous Beach, but let's leave it at that. And if you think I'm joking about that name, I'm not. Building your confidence in doing something, like swimming in the ocean or doing something, takes time, takes patience. Building faith is a process. Some of these young students, when, they, when we ask them a question, they have seasoned knowledge of certain things that they're going through because they're just going through these things. But building faith is a process. Some of you that are, Christ, that are older, that have been through life for quite a while, have been through certain things. And I encourage you to share that faith, that process with everyone around you. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hold on to that source of wisdom. So when they come and shake your hand, when they come and say, how are you doing? Encourage them. Love on them. By building faith, we need to have patience. By building faith, we need to understand that it's a continual thing that you do. Continue to read God's word. Continue to pray with each other. Continue to be in close proximity with the Lord. No matter where you are in your day, whether it's in a truck, whether it's in a car going to work, whether it's coming home, and you know when you get home there are things that you're going to face at home. The comforting thing is that even in our fears and terrors, even in our weak faith, we can still cry out, Lord Save us, Lord, heal us, Lord, deliver us, Lord, protect us. And, it's, and it's, quite, it's quite wonderful with the fact that when you read this story, at the end of it, when you read verse 27, what sort of man is this? 
You know, how gracious is God? After all we've been through, you see years later, maybe it's weeks later, years later, how God has led you through that for an extended purpose so that you can encourage others. So that's something I want you to be encouraged about. What manner of man is this? If I can leave you with that question. What manner of man is Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he the one who calms you during your storms? And those storms vary. And so I want to encourage you. Read, read further on in Matthew. Be encouraged by that. But as you go into, for some, it's going to be a new year, new school year. Um, maybe a totally different year for you because things have changed from last year. What manner of man is Jesus to you as you go into this next step for this year? Is he Christ? Is he Savior? And do you, do you treat him like that throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year? Or don't you? And if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, a day will come. And I'm telling you this, not to scare you, but the reality of it, a day will come where Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Submit yourself to him. Believe in him. And you will be saved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would help us and guide us as we continue in song. Lord, we know that by your grace, Lord, you have given us your word, you have given us a church, you've given us to each other, Lord, that we may grow. We know that apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. Nothing, Lord. Lord, we become a very sophisticated, in many ways, society, culture, that we become very dependent on our own ways, on our own methods, on our own means to go forward and in progress. But ultimately, Lord, I ask that you would, that we would be a people that submits to you. Even in those moments, Lord, where we don't know where to turn. We know that their storms are coming. We know that the heartaches are coming, Lord. What should we do? Pray that we would turn to you. Even in those moments, Lord, of heartache, even in those heights of jubilation, Lord, help us to turn to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Just a couple of announcements, um, and I'm going to have two guys come up and just give their report. Uh, tonight is the ice cream social. Um, last, last year we had an undisputed winner, and I'm, I'm hoping she will bring something similar to that because it was extremely tasty. Um, I'll, be, I'll be approaching some of you to judge that auspicious occasion. So if you really, really like ice cream and you really, really want to see what Northside has to offer, please come. It's at 6 p.m. tonight. Um, so come with your favorite homemade flavor and compete to win the Golden Scoop Trophy. So before I have Ryan, uh, Chris Flournoy has got a, an announcement for Upward. Please come tonight. It'll be in here 15 to 20 minutes. Very informal, just general questions. Uh, if you're new to Northside and you've not plugged into any particular ministry, this is the one you want to be want to be a part of. And I say this every year, but if you're worried, hey, I, I don't have no idea. I've never had a ref soccer. I don't have to coach soccer. We don't either. So just come, come, come out and, and pretend with the rest of us, and we'll enjoy having you. So I'll see you there. bulletin this morning you should have seen a list of men that we will be voting on for deacon election here in the coming weeks if for whatever reason pastor Aaron my list got crossed and we missed you please come and get me after the service today uh, or this evening email miss Kim in the office this week please let us know we are very sorry we missed you but uh, that needs to be uh, updated if we did miss you uh, then with that the actual election will be the 7th Sixth or seventh, whatever that Sunday is. Six? Six. Okay, the sixth and the thirteenth. That there will be more information coming, uh, bulletin and probably a email in the coming week or so about that. But please be in prayer about that, that that will be uh, something that we'll be having here in the upcoming weeks. Thank you. few things to just note this coming Saturday is a service opportunity to the Georgia Baptist Children's Home I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to all meet there um, at 9 a.m. if you don't know where it is just type it in on Google and or call me and I'll, I'll come and get you and we can go together uh, Eli asked the question how old do you have to be my suggestion is if you need somebody to drive you there I would suggest they come with you um, <laughs> just just fair um, but it's a great opportunity to to serve um, we have next week is the church picnic so if you haven't signed up to bring a, a, a salad a veg or a dessert please do that um, you'll be you'll be hotly surprised at how much food we have there our brother David has enough meat to feed an army um, so please come and eat, um, and please come and enjoy. Um, there are a bunch of more announcements, but I don't have enough voice for that, uh, so please read your bulletin. Brother Larry Smitherin is our Deacon of the Week. Did you read it? There you go. Um, senior luncheon, senior friends, this Thursday. At 11.30. Miss Glenda said so. <laughs> All right.
me and my family, I'd like to thank Northside. All your prayers, all the cards, all the calls, all the food. I'd ask that you continue to pray for Dad and the rest of us as we deal with the loss of Mom. I say thank you to all of you. Thank you very much for all your love and care prayers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to come out and gather fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the message that you brought forth through Brother Gary this morning, Lord. Lord, may you go with us this week, comfort us in whatever our storm is, whatever we face. May you comfort us and lead and guide us as we go about our way, Lord. And forgive us, Lord, for we failed you so miserably. Be with us now. Forgive us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.